Welcome to Zion Fellowship's Sermon of the Week. This podcast hosts the weekly Sunday service message from Zion Fellowship, a spirit-led and life-giving local church in Canandaigua, New York, pastored by Chris and Joan Wood. We hope this resource encourages, challenges, and helps you in your journey with God. So whether you're driving, washing dishes, or sitting in your living room, let's prepare our hearts together as we hear the word of the Lord. Um, If you're a turn-the-pages-in-your-Bible person, we're going to Acts 15. If you are young, you are tapping your way toward Acts 15. Uh, I said that out loud. Wow. Um, So Mark started a series on community a couple of weeks ago. Uh, And Mark gets to do all the happy stuff about community. You know, we're going to live together. We're going to run together. We're going to build each other up. Uh, Together, everyone achieves more. All that stuff. Mark gets to do all the happy stuff. I'm glad to let him do that. I'm not going to do that. Uh, I'm going to talk about an aspect of community that we don't often talk about. I'm going to talk about how we disagree. Uh, Because that's bound to happen. A group of people in close proximity for a long period of time is going to disagree. I want to talk about how to do that. And I want to do that launching out of a story at the end of Acts 15. And that story is a hiccup in the narrative of Acts. If you start at Acts 1 and you just go, this is a hiccup. This explains why Barnabas drops out of the narrative and Silas comes into the narrative. But it is instructive for us, and so we will read. Pick it up in verse 36. And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaimed the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark. But Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches." Uh, The background on the story is that on a previous missionary journey, uh, Paul took four. On a previous missionary journey, Paul and Barnabas had taken John Mark along. Uh, John Mark, the guy after whom the Gospel of Mark is named, that guy, like he did okay. He did okay, John Mark did. But for reasons that are completely unclear from the Scripture, John Mark left them in the middle of that journey just deserted them in the middle of the journey. And so they're getting ready to head out again. And Barnabas says, hey, I'm I'm looking at the guest list and I'm thinking about John Mark, huh? Huh? John Mark, huh? What do you think? What do you think? And Paul says, you got to be kidding. The guy that left us in Pamphylia, you want to bring that guy back? You got to have rocks in your head where your brains ought to be, right? Like it's that sort of thing. And, and there was what the scripture calls a sharp disagreement. And so they split over the matter. I have four things to say about the story. These are not my four points. These are four things to say about the story. Then we'll have three points. Then we'll do Q&A. Then everybody goes home. That's the plan. It's a full 42 minutes. It's full. But as a trained secondary teacher, 42 minutes is just what I do. One, Paul and Barnabas split over something that was not crucial to the gospel. This is a secondary matter. It's a secondary matter. It's a little bit more important than the color of the carpet in the sanctuary, but it's a little bit less important than who goes to heaven, what is the gospel, what did Jesus do on the cross? It's a secondary matter, and that matters. Like, there are times when we have to part company because of important things, and there are times We have to part company over secondary matters. This is a secondary matter. Two, Scripture doesn't say who's right. Scripture doesn't teach it. 
doesn't say it in the story. It's not like hiding in the next verses and I didn't get to it because I don't like you. Like it's not hiding anywhere. Scripture doesn't say who's right. Over the years, I have seen the story from Barnabas's point of view. And over the years, I have seen the story from Paul's point of view. I can totally argue it from Barnabas's point of view. Hey, Paul, do we really want to let one mistake scar a person's career in ministry? Really? Do we really want to do that? Come on. We serve the God of second chances. It was our VBS theme back in AD 52, right? The God of second chances, right? Like we, we serve the God of second chances. John Mark deserves a second chance. Let's bring him along. Come on. And in fact, when the early church didn't want to let you in, Paul, because you were, check my notes here, killing Christians... I stood in the gap and made sure you got a second chance. I can totally make the argument from Barnabas's point of view. And I can totally make the argument from Paul's point of view. Paul could perfectly argue, hey, the work we do is really dangerous. It puts our lives in danger. Remember the shipwreck? Wasn't that fun? Right? Like, the stuff we do is really, really dangerous. And the people that we take with us have to be be tried and tested and true. We can't afford another big pamphylia thing happening. There's a lot of stuff in the body of Christ for John Mark to do. He's got a bright future, but I don't think that this time, this thing is right for him. I can totally make that argument. Both arguments are compelling, which means by definition, Neither argument is compelling. Just definitionally, if both arguments are convincing, neither argument is convincing. Everybody's thinking back to Logic 101, where they're like, he's right on that. The scripture doesn't say who's right. The, the scripture doesn't come down on one side or the other. Three. Barnabas could have yielded. Barnabas could have said, wow, Paul, this, this is a big deal for you. Like, who we bring along? Like, this really feels important to you. So, because you're the apostle guy, and this is kind of your trip, and I'm just, I'm helping as your 1A to your 1, like, because of your position, and because of who you are, and because of your track record, I yield. But he didn't. And the scripture doesn't teach that he had to. He was allowed to have a firm conviction about John Mark. Four. Paul could have yielded. Paul could have said, Whoa, Barnabas, I didn't realize this was such a big deal to you. Didn't realize the John Mark guy was a deal breaker for you. That's a big thing. We've been friends a long time. We've been running together a long time. For the sake of unity, for the, the sake of what we want to do together, I'll yield. But he didn't. And the scripture doesn't teach that he had to. Paul and Barnabas had an honest disagreement about a really important thing that really mattered to them. And so I want to talk this morning about how to live in community when sometimes you don't see eye to eye. The structure for the rest of our time together comes from a quotation uh, that's often attributed to Augustine. It is not Augustine. It most likely came from a tract from the Thirty Years' War in the late 17th century by a German monk named Peter Meiderlin. Uh, and I'm sure Marcus or Michael will say that Meiderlin means, you know, God's anointed in the original German or something. No, we have no idea. Excellent. Marcus will do it in the comments. It's fine. Um, it's not scripture. It's not. It doesn't have a thus saith the Lord on it. 
and I don't care. It's just the structure of the rest of our time. And it translates into English thusly. In essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. In all things, charity. See, it's easy to remember. It's easy to remember. It's just I-E-U-I-N-E-L-I-A-T-C. Very easy to remember. In essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. In all things, charity. I want to talk about when we have to draw the line, when we don't have to draw the line, and how we draw the line. That's the plan. Three points, Q&A, everybody goes home. That's the plan. That's the plan. You're like, we've been fooled by people in the pulpit before. Nobody believes that that's all that... That's all that's coming. That is literally all that's coming. There's not a surprise clown going to show... No, there's not. It's, it's just me. In essentials, unity. There are some issues that are so important, so crucial to the truths of the gospel, that disagreement cannot be tolerated in the church. There are some issues that are so important, they are so crucial to who we are and whose we are, that disagreement cannot be tolerated in the church. They are big deal things. Who Jesus was, what he did on the cross, who goes to heaven, how our character is shaped as we are molded into the image and likeness of the son of his love. Big deal things. The iconic text on this point is Galatians 1, with further comment in Galatians 3. Uh, I'll read from the middle of Galatians 1. These are verses 6 through 9. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there's another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preached to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. And then 3.1, O oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. The word accursed, uh, it's at the end of, that is so small. Who did that? That was me. I did that. At the end of verse 9, uh, there's a word, uh, I'm so sorry. I, I didn't realize it was, it, I just, I'm so sorry. At the end of verse 9, uh, there's this word accursed. It's the Greek word anathema, which comes into English as a cognate. Anathema is an English word. It means damned to hell. Try that one more time here. If anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be damned to hell. Not a very inclusive message in the middle of 2022, am I right? Like, that's not the thing. We're in a culture where it's all about you live your truth and I'll live my truth and we can, be, we can have fundamentally opposed truths, but it's fine. We're all just living our truth. Paul doesn't know anything about that. The Apostle Paul does not know anything about that when it comes to the gospel of Jesus. Somebody comes along with a slightly different gospel, and you'll remember, uh, you may remember, uh, the letter to the Galatians was because they were receiving Gnostic teaching. You know, those people who would show up and say, it's a nice gospel you got there, but if you really want to level up, Check out my meeting off to the side after service. 
Like, this was a whole next level sort of thing. Anybody comes along with a different gospel, that person should be damned to hell. Some issues matter a lot. The issue of what the gospel is and who Jesus is and what Jesus did is so important that we can't just agree to disagree. We can't just go along to get along. Such people are not to be tolerated in the church. They need to be taught the truths of the scripture and brought under what the truth says. That's what I mean when I say they cannot be tolerated. We sit down with those people and we say, if, we're, if you're going to be a part of this community, this is what the scripture clearly teaches. This is what you need to understand. There are things that we believe as the body of Christ that make us fundamentally different from the Elks Club or the Knights of Columbus or the YMCA or any of a whole bunch of other fantastic 501c3 organizations. <laughs> what we do is fundamentally different because we believe the distinctives of the Christian faith. And so we cannot compromise on fundamental distinctives of the Christian faith. And lest you think that I found the one scripture that speaks harshly about people who disapprove, I found more. Here is 2 Timothy 3. But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good. How long is this list? Treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people. I think NIV translates it, or New King James translates it, have nothing to do with them. Avoid such people. I'll go on, 1 Corinthians 5, but now I am willing to, to ah, try that again. But now I am writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard, or swindler, not even to eat with such a one. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? 2 Thessalonians 3, if anyone does not obey what we say in this letter, take note of that person and have nothing to do with him that he may be ashamed. Do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. That matters, by the way. Such a person is not your enemy. Your enemies, you'll know who your enemies are because they actively oppose you. That's not this. That's not that. We have enemies. Jesus taught us that. We have enemies, and we have to love our enemies while we defeat them. But that's not the case here. That's not the case here. Do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. 2 John 10 and 11. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, the gospel, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting, for anyone who greets him takes part in his wicked works. The scripture says there are some issues that are so important. They are so central to the proclamation of the gospel. They are so central to our character as Christians that when a voice comes in that clouds that, you can't let that voice be heard. You just can't. Now, on our end of the theological spectrum, this is something we can do better. Uh, largely because there are two things in play, I think. I don't have a thus saith the Lord. This is an I think. Uh, one is that we don't know the scriptures as deeply as we ought. 
And so we can't lay the, the 12 scriptures on top of each other that speak to our point. We just sort of know this thing we learned back in Sunday school, back in the day kind of a thing. Uh, we can always know the scripture better. I spent my 20s as an InterVarsity Christian Fellowship guy, a baby Christian with a bunch of young adults, and we'd sit down to lunch on a daily basis, and it would be, so what does the scripture say about this hot button issue or that thing that's in the news? And just iron sharpening iron for years. Uh, we can do better with that. The other phenomenon that's in play is that we want to cast the nets broadly. We want a big tent. And so it's hard because if we take a stand on a fundamental truth, some people may decide that tent's not big enough for me. I'll say this real clearly. The gospel is the biggest tent you're ever going to find. The ground really is level at the foot of the cross, 100%. Every person comes to Jesus on equal footing. But the gospel is also very, very clear about how we come to Jesus and what is expected of us as we follow. So I want a big tent too. I want every seat Full. I want to have to knock this building down to build one next to it that's twice the size, right? Like I wanted, no offense to all the people in the building who actually helped build the building before I showed up. I'm real, there were some people, I put this pew right in this spot and I sit in this pew because it's my pew. I, I get that. I get that. Ah, oh, that was, I didn't do that in rehearsal, Eric. I didn't do that in rehearsal. I hadn't planned that. It's not in my notes. Okay. Like, I want to see this building knocked down because we need one twice as big. We'll put it right up next to our, like, like Olympic-sized swimming pool or whatever. Like, 100%. I totally want to do that. But I don't want a big tent at the cost of the fundamentals of what we believe about who Jesus is and what Jesus did. Is that okay? Is that okay? In essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. On matters where the scriptures do not speak clearly... Honest Christians of goodwill can disagree. We let each be convinced in his own mind. There are some things that the scripture does not speak clearly about. And when the scripture doesn't speak clearly, we shouldn't either. We disagree. Um, things that are on the level of whether the Yankees are a terrible baseball team. Spoilers, they are. They are. I can say that because Marcus isn't here. Huh. Um, the iconic passage on this is Romans 14. That also was not in the notes. When I go off script, Eric, it's not okay. It's not okay. The iconic passage here is the beginning of Romans 14, and it reads as follows. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It's before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand." One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. 
There are some issues where the scripture does not speak clearly, where liberty is allowed. In those areas, I can believe one thing and you can believe another, and we can even have strong disagreements about those beliefs. But the principle is still that we let each other be convinced in his own mind. If you know me at all, you know that I'm okay pushing on someone else's beliefs, uh, that we can have vigorous disagreements about where the scripture does not clearly speak. And so I'll have a cup of coffee with somebody where they'll say, well, I believe this about the scripture. And I'll take that pendulum and I'll swing it slowly. I'll go, oh, well, what about this scripture? And what about that one? And what about that one? And what about this one? And what about this principle? And how about what this guy said? And just when I've convinced the other person to come to my view, I'll say, but on your side of the argument, there's this and there's this and there's that. And then then they swing back. It's the most fun. It's the most fun. Going into an argument with somebody that's not prepared, oh, I have a blast with that. Swing them on a yo-yo, on a pendulum. You pick your metaphor. It's the best. The fact that there is liberty in those issues doesn't mean I don't get to put my dog in the fight, right? The fact that there is liberty doesn't mean we don't get to make some choices. And if you're going to make a choice on an issue, I'm going to lay out the scriptural principles that speak to that. You are perfectly free to do that, and arguably, you should do that. That's iron sharpening iron. Everybody comes out stronger at the end. Some people still root for the Yankees. I don't understand them, but they do. They, what is this woo-hoo? What is this? It's not even right. It's, not, it's what? It's, yeah, woo-hoo. By the way, things we can't argue about. Finger Lakes Coffee Roasters coffee is fantastic. I'm just saying that out loud. Way better, way better. That's, I'm on that level. This is the level on which Paul and Barnabas disagreed. Paul and Barnabas didn't disagree on a character level. They didn't disagree on a gospel issue. They disagreed on a non-essential matter. Why does that matter? They each had valid concerns. They each had a good case to argue. So why did they have to split? You just got done telling us, nerdo, that that we're allowed to have liberty in these matters. A hundred percent. But there's no compromising on whether John Mark can come along on the trip. Remember? Like, he was either going to go or he wasn't going to go. Somebody was going to have to yield or else, right? Sometimes it happens where two people can't agree and one of them has to say, you believe very strongly this and I believe very strongly that and I'm going to bless you while you go do this and I hope you'll bless me while I go do that. Sometimes it has to happen. Somebody has to say, right now, we cannot run together. We just can't run together right now. I have been a Christian almost 30 years, and if you've been in the body that long, you've seen it happen over the years. A leadership team makes a decision and a young leader says, we can't run together right now. And they find another place to go. Breaks my heart. Breaks my heart. Because they're friends. They're brothers and sisters. And they have a good argument. And we love them. We don't want to see them go. Because I cannot stand sometimes how God moves us around like chess pieces, right? He should just put the chess pieces 
where they are and leave them alone. (laughs) Unless he brings more to us, in which case that's fine. But he can't move the ones away from us that's naughty. And you're all giggling, but you all know exactly what I'm saying, don't you? You know exactly what I'm saying. You've got names and faces that go with what I'm saying. You're like, but they're God. But they had to say, if you're going to run this way, we feel strongly that we can't run with you. We've got to run a different way. And that's what liberty does. When binary decisions have to be made, he was either going to go on the trip or not go on the trip. I'll bless you while you do this. You bless me while I do that. And we have to have that kind of grace for another person. Because the next time, it could be you. It could be you with a strong conviction. It could be you that says, I can't go down this road with you. So you want to have that kind of liberty for somebody else. Doesn't mean it doesn't hurt. In essentials, liberty. In in essentials, unity. It was so easy to remember. It was just IEU, right? In essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. In all things, charity. There are some commands of the scripture that are not suspended just because you disagree. There are some commands of scripture that remain in force even when you disagree. I found some. John 13, 34 and 35. Jesus says, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. 1 John 4.11, dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Skip up a few verses. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not... Knoweth not God, for God is love. God is love. Beloved, let us love one another. 1 John 4, 7 and 8. I'll say it. All the young people are like, that's not a Hillsong song. It's not. It's not. And all the older people were clapping along with me because they grew up when I grew up. It's so fun. And then my personal favorite, Ephesians 4.15, rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. Speaking the truth in love. Those commands do not render themselves defenseless because two people disagree. You're not going to show up at the judgment seat of Christ and have Jesus say, hey, 2022, that person, what was the deal? And you go, yeah, well, I totally treated him bad, but you don't understand. He's a Yankee fan. Oh, oh, I understand. Oh, completely okay. All the rules turn off because of that disagreement. Like, what? What? Those scriptures are still in. You're, you're like, yeah. He, so you're saying, no, those scripture verses are still in force. Why do I have to say this? Because we know how this unfolds in 2022. If Paul and Barnabas were not mature Christians, it might unfold in the following way in 2022. Paul opens up his face parchment app and he posts a vague status asking for, it's not even a status anymore. He makes a vague, I'm so sorry, I'm old. He makes a vague post that says, pray for our leadership team as we decide who to bring along on the next journey because we're looking for a group of men that are just strong and courageous and if 
never accidentally left the group in Pamphylia and, and that are just so very strong together and have never deserted the group. And then, then he wins the battle in the comments section. Right? He wins the battle in the comments section where everybody goes, yeah, Paul, that's leadership. Way to go, man. Don't let anybody in. The, 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 yeah. And then just all the, the hearts and the, the thumbs and the, the this and the, the this and the, all of that. I'm sorry. I'm thinking about Mark driving and listening but not watching going, hey, everybody, what did he do? What did he do? You don't want to know, honey. You don't want to know. Like, it's that whole thing. <sighs> he wins the battle in the comments section. Meanwhile, Barnabas has invited three of Paul's friends to coffee. And Barnabas is saying, hey, um, just wanted to lay a prayer concern in front of you. I just want to pray for Paul because I think maybe the, the hazards of ministry have hardened him toward the God of second chances that we serve. And maybe Paul's discernment is just a little bit cloudy. Uh, he's growing a little hard in his old age. And so maybe we can just pause to pray for 90 seconds and then to talk about him behind his back for four hours. But maybe, maybe we can do that. We do this. We wrap ourselves in robes of Christianese. And we paint ourselves in the best possible light. Because we're right. And what do they know? That's how it unfolds in 2022. We speak the truth in love. Now, I'm going to swing on both ends of that pendulum for a bit. Some in the church, but many in the culture, conflate love with acceptance. If you love me... You will accept uncritically all truth claims that I make about myself and the world. Otherwise, you are hateful. This is the message. Turn on any network nowadays. That is the message. If you love me, you accept uncritically all of the things I say about myself to be true and all of the things I say about the world to be true. This, whoa, this is utter nonsense. It is utter nonsense. Anybody that's ever raised a child, anybody that's ever been in a relationship, anybody that's ever been to school knows that we care deeply about people who say things that are wrong. Just flat out wrong. We can't do that. We cannot conflate love with acceptance uncritically of all truth claims a person makes. What the church sometimes does, we're very good at this. I did this through my 20s into my 30s. I did this. You're like, you're not still in your 20s? Very not. So, so no person was thinking that, sir. You are right. What the church does is we swing the pendulum the other way, and we go all truth in capital letters. This is what the Bible says about this issue. And if you don't believe this, your problem's not with me. Your problem's with God. And then we win it in the comment section where everybody else in capital letters just says, way to preach the word or whatever they do in their, their, their voice where they do it, right? We go all truth without love. We go all truth. We're the equivalent of the man wearing the sandwich board that says turn or burn. 
And you and I came to Jesus from such a person, right? Like you and I came to Jesus because we saw the guy with the sandwich board and said, well, I don't want to burn. I guess I have to turn. I will read this man's tract, right? In fact, through my 20s and into my 30s, I believed the following. The most loving thing we can do is tell someone the truth. The very action of telling the truth is the loving thing. This is also utter nonsense. Utter nonsense. And I can disprove it in about 10 seconds. Ready? Ephesians 4.15 says, speaking the truth in love. If the speaking of the truth was itself the loving thing, he would just say speaking the truth. But he qualifies it. And the fact that he qualifies it means that it is possible to speak the truth without love. Anyone who's ever raised kids, anyone who's ever been in a relationship, anybody who's ever gone to school knows that when someone speaks the truth to you without love behind it, that's brutal. That's brutal because you know it's true, but they don't care about the relationship. You know that it's true. They win the argument and lose the person. Did a lot of that as a young guy. Won arguments. I'm really good at winning arguments. You should try sometime. I'm very, very good at winning arguments. But if I try to win an argument and I don't care what happens to you afterward, I win the argument and lose you. And that's not what we're supposed to do. We are not supposed to do that. There are times when we have to say to somebody, you are on the wrong side of the scripture. We cannot allow this voice, these teachings to affect our community. We do that with a heart full of love that looks to warn a brother or a sister. That's the heart behind it. Even when we have to say, I can't let you teach our children. You don't get to teach kids' church anymore if you believe thus and so. We do it with a heart that is full of love that wants to win somebody back. Even in those times when we have to say, I know you believe this and I believe that, and right now we can't run together. It is with a heart full of compassion for another person because we care about them as our brother or our sister. That's the heart that has to be behind when we disagree. Otherwise, we are disagreeable, and that's not what the Scripture teaches. If we're going to be in community, if we're going to spend any significant length of time together and get beyond the, so what do you do for a living? I do this thing for a living. Our conversation is over now. Like, as soon as we get beyond that level of shenanigans, this has got to happen at some point. And when it does, we want the right heart behind it. Lucky for us, Jesus has given us a pattern. So you may be wondering to yourselves, what does it mean to do that with love in our hearts? Like, what does that mean, person on stage with strange microphone in face? Good question. Jesus didn't say, love each other, have at it, good luck. He said, love one another as... I have loved you. So if you're about to say something or do something to a brother or a sister, here's the question to ask. Based on everything I know from reading the Gospels and watching two seasons of The Chosen, can I imagine Jesus doing this? 
Can I imagine him saying this in this way? If so, great. Great. And if not, we got to find out what Jesus' heart is for our friends, for our brothers, for our sisters. Fair? I do not pretend that 42 minutes have cleared up everything you have ever thought on the subject. So I'll ask, what are the questions I have generated? What are the lingering questions in your mind? What is still unclear? How do I help you? Because there's a mic right there, and John will run it to you if you've got a thought. Oh, that's so good. Mike didn't need a mic. So, so for the folks driving, Mike said, uh, or for Marcus, wherever he is, or for all the people on the high people, so Mike's question is, how do you make the distinction between what's, what's essential and what's unessential, what's non-essential? Uh, for me, essential doctrines have lots and lots of scriptures behind them, lots and lots. If I, can, if I can stack 12 scriptures on my side of the argument and none on the other side of the argument, it's essential. If it speaks to who goes to heaven or what Jesus did on the cross or what my character is supposed to look like as I am conformed to the image of the likeness of the son of his love, it's essential. If... if Christians of goodwill have disagreed over the years because there are multiple principles but no clear guidance, there's liberty. Uh, and I've belonged to churches in the past where everything was essential, and that's exhausting. It's exhausting when the translation of the Bible that you read and what radio station plays in your car. So it was a long time ago. Uh, for the young people, a radio is like a podcast you can't really change. It's that sort of thing. Just got to get the young people in on this. Uh, so, so I'll say it this way, Mike. If I'm going to throw down the unity card, if I'm going to say we have to be together on this, there had better be lots of scriptures in my column and no real history of honest people have disagreed on this before. Um, does that make sense? Is that helpful? Sweet. Uh, knowing where that line is, that line itself is a secondary issue. Where that line is is secondary. I would argue gospel-centered things matter a lot. Hi. Oh, John's going to run a microphone to you. John is going to walk a microphone in your general direction. <laughs> Can you hear me? Oh, loud and clear. Okay. My question is, um, what if the disagreement is about like someone being abusive? Um, is that would that be like you go your separate ways, or I mean, you forgive, but do you go your separate ways? <sighs> We are always looking to win a brother, to win a sister. My personal belief is that we don't have to accept abusive behaviors. Disagreement is an interesting word to use there. Uh, I'm intrigued by it because that's not really a disagreement. That's a power play, isn't it? Like in those sorts of situations, 
to the best of my awareness, that's a power play. That's one person putting their thumb on another uh, in a way that in a way that to some extent dehumanizes the other. So that's not a disagreement over a non-essential thing. That's not do we cheer for the Mets or the Yankees. That's not K-Love versus family life. That's not NIV versus New King James. That's, that's a character issue. And there are, we can go back through the slides uh, all the way back to 2 Timothy with the list of all the people we're not supposed to have anything to do with. Uh, in those scenarios, Matthew 18 is prescriptive. Matthew 18 says, if I have something against my brother or he has something against me, I go to them. And if they don't listen, I bring a couple of friends. And if they don't listen, I bring it to the church. Those are Jesus's clear words in Matthew 18. That's the way we handle such things. Um, we bring it to the church. We bring it out into the open. And we say, this is what's going on. Because we have to. You have to deal with that. Um, in, the, in the way that you're ready to deal with that, if that helps. Um, that's not easy by any stretch. That's not the answer you were hoping for. Is that helpful? Were there other thoughts about that? I don't pretend to speak definitively on that. Doesn't the cross bear the ultimate example? Doesn't the cross bear the ultimate example of someone who willingly took on suffering and pain, knowing what was coming because of the good it would do? Yes. Uh, Jesus took on our infirmities, our sins, and bore them in his body. And he died a death we wouldn't wish on anyone for our salvation. So Jesus did that because of the joy that was before him, because of the glory that was coming his way. So in a situation where we might have to abide under such things, in a temporary way until help can come that is instructive i would not pretend that because jesus took on suffering we should volunteer to do so does, does that make sense like it's the example to follow while we have to follow I don't know that we have to follow. I don't subscribe to the theory that because we are American Christians in the 21st century, no bad thing should happen to us. Uh, and I want us as a church body to be prepared for persecution should it come. 
And I don't think that because somebody mocked our Christian bumper sticker that we are being persecuted. Uh, far from it. They laughed at my K-Love bumper sticker. I don't pretend that. Uh, but I would not... Uh, the scripture doesn't speak to it. There are guiding principles. Uh, when we know that there is sin as a character issue in somebody's life, it is necessary for the church to take steps to address the character issue. Whether that character issue is that Jimmy likes to lie or that character issue is something far worse. Uh, it, it's a thing we do in community for the sake of the community. Did I pick up what you were throwing down? I right, right. Jesus gave us the example on how to love. Uh, what greater love has no man than this that he lay down his life for his friends? Right, like that. That is a hundred percent scripturally true, and we are called to do greater things than he did. Uh, Walking that out in community requires us being able to draw, draw a line and say, this is a character issue. This has to be addressed. Ben, be loud. Oh, that's good. Ooh, ooh, um, I'm not sure. What do you mean by it? What do you mean use this as a framework for maturity in the body? Yes. I think that takes the eye off the ball. The, the goal is to be conformed by his spirit into the image of the son of his love. That's the, that's the finish line, right? Uh, we run the race with endurance. Uh, we run with endurance, the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Is knowing how to disagree part of that maturing process Probably. Uh, do I want it to be the measuring rod? Probably not. Because I want the character of Jesus to be my end goal. Uh, is this a way to take the pulse along the way? Probably. I mean, the, the Germans, they know, okay, they know a, a little bit about theology. Well, they did. In the, seven, in the late 17th century, they did. Eh, late 1900s was a, a bit weird for them. Bit weird for them. Uh, I would hesitate to say to anyone, and this is how you know you are mature, unless that thing was, here's a picture of Jesus. That's the goal, isn't it? Do I pick up what you're throwing down? There's another question. I don't know if Derek Jeter is saved. I, I don't. Let me check and see if the Lamb's Book of Life is an app on this thing. No, I don't know. Um, 
he is certainly a, an above-average shortstop uh, who will probably make the Hall of Fame on looks alone. <laughs> Too far? Too far? He's a decent-looking guy, I tell you what. He's, he's something. Cool. Tom. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's so good. So Tom's question for for the Scorsone family driving. Uh, hey, there are some things that we really, really feel strongly about, and we want other people convinced of our position, and how does maturity play into how you say that without being a jerk? Is that, is that roughly? Uh, so so I'll, I'll speak from personal experience. In my 20s and into my 30s, I was just a jerk. Uh, because I saw the scripture, black and white, plain Jane, easy as pie, this is it. And if you don't believe this way, you're deceived or worse. Uh, and that comes across about as badly as you imagine it coming across. Uh, it just is. But where does that come from? It comes from passion and zeal. And, and I feel so strongly about this. And God has, uh, I believe that God has shown me this thing, right? Like, and when you believe that God has shown you something, that's got a thus saith the Lord quality to it, doesn't it? Uh, I believe that this is how our family should raise our kids. Or I believe that this is how uh, we walk out our faith in public. And if you don't like it, well, you're just going against the word of God itself. Uh, I've grown a little softer on that as I've grown a little bit older. Um, possibly because just getting older does that to you. And possibly because it's maturity, maybe. I don't even want to say that because uh, that assumes I've done something that I may not have done. Uh, so while you're young and passionate and black and white, which isn't to say that young people are all passionate black and white and old people are all fuddy-duddy and gray, <sighs> that's a tough distinction too. When we have passion about an issue, we try to recognize there is another side sometimes. Otherwise, you wouldn't have the argument. You wouldn't argue whether Derek Jeter was a halfway decent shortstop who benefited from sitting at the top of a lineup that was powerful behind him and he got five at-bats every game and that's why he drove in so many runs and all of that. Right? So there, there's something to be said for seeing the other side. Uh, I would ask all of my passionate, zealous friends to see the other side, uh, which is hard because you feel it so much. And if you think there's a thus saith the Lord quality to it, which is why I am so nervous about ever saying such things. I would much prefer to say, I think what God is saying is, what I think God might lean toward is, if I'm going to go, thus saith the Lord, it better have been an audible voice for me, for me. That's my view. Um, it's also fun when you recognize there's another side of an issue because you can argue with people, especially if you know the scriptures well. You get to argue with people. It's super fun. 
It's because you get to um, uh, those conversations that you have when you first come to Jesus and you're reading through the Gospels and you're like, what was this guy like? Sitting around the fire with 12 of the most different people you could gather together. What was he like around the fire? What was he like sitting around the dinner table? What was he like? You get to have those kinds of discussions with people that you care about, that you're living in community with. That's good. I'd love to have that happen. But when you come in with your, the Lord said, well, that ends the debate. Who wants to argue against God? Which is why if you can't stack 15 scriptures in your favor, maybe we just say it's our opinion. Let's do this. I'm going to pray because uh, I'm out of coffee. And, and it's quarter of. So we're going to pray. And then as many people as want to attack me in the lobby and knock me down and say, Derek, Jeremy, like we can do that. That's totally fine. Uh, you have been gracious this long, and I'm glad. Thank you. Uh, oh, wow. Uh, so I'm going to pray. We're going to, because we got to get the kids' church. Pe oh my God, your children! Father, thank you for everything you've done this morning. And we bless the kids' church team that stuck with it way too long. And I'm so glad. God, I pray that you will seal truth in our heart, that you will teach us how to mature toward the image of the likeness of the Son of God, that we would look like Jesus that we would see like Jesus, that we would hear like Jesus. For his sake and the glory of his gospel, amen. You are dismissed with blessing. Have a good week. Hope this message has encouraged and challenged you in your walk with God today. Again, this podcast is a resource of Zion Fellowship, a spirit-led and life-giving local church in Canandaigua, New York. If you'd like to learn more about us, find us at our website at zionfellowship.net or find us on Facebook and Instagram. Also feel free to give us a call at 585-394-7450. Blessings to you as you continue in your day.